0: Listen up, boys. We have to sit up straight, use proper manners, because this is no longer a sausage party. The Development Hell podcast has our first female guest. Say hi to all the uh, all the listeners, Selena. Hello. You were so much more energetic before the podcast. (laughs) Now that we're recording, you're like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hi,
1: everybody. I'm so excited. I have my glass of wine. I'm I'm really great.
2: Well, anyway, we're, if we've Ed. We've made it to episode number six. I know it's pretty exciting. Um, I guess uh, <laughs> that's, that's really compelling. Um, no, <laughs> it's good. I have a bottle of water, and uh, I am. But I'm I'm excited because uh, I think it's cool that we get to talk to Selena about stuff, and she's probably going to tell us lots of cool stuff, and that'll be neat.
1: So, oh, I like you too.
2: I didn't say that. <laughs>
0: So, so Selena, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and explain to them in excruciating detail how you bullied your way onto the podcast.
1: Right, right. Um, So, I have always wanted to have my own podcast. So, this is really my secret plan to learn, you know, how to do a podcast. But, um, uh, so, when I saw that you guys were doing this and I, you know, I listened in a little bit, I decided to just mount a Twitter campaign, which... um, I ended up actually getting somebody – who was it? Somebody voted for me to be on the podcast, and I didn't even, like, pay them. It was really great. Uh, So, yeah. That sounds (laughs) – Anyway, anyway, that was a really great introduction. Um, Hi, (laughs) I'm Selena, and I work on Postgres. That's mostly what I do. Um, And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I really – I'm into open source stuff, and I started this conference called Open Source Bridge, uh see uh, now I knew
0: yeah. now I knew why Ed
2: was so enthusiastic to have you on. I well, really so I really strange. wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> really <enthusiastic.
1: laughs> that's true. He wasn't at all. He was against it from the beginning. Um but yeah, I've I've been doing like stuff with software and computers, I guess. I mean as a as a like hacker type person since college and before that not at all, really. Um and I had a had a awesome boyfriend who was like, Hey, you're into computers here. Let me help you build a computer and install Linux on it. And there's all this awesome stuff on the internet. Let me show you. That's kind of how I got started. It was a long time ago, back in the, back in the nineties.
2: That is a long time ago.
1: Yeah.
0: That's almost pre-internet days. Wow. It's impressive. So how'd you get involved with Postgres?
1: Um, so I was working for a manufacturing company they make bike parts, and uh, they had an ERP system that was running on Mac OS 9, just mm. the horrors of which I will spare you. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of the most awful uh, thing I've ever had to work on, uh, and so they decided that maybe they should get an updated ERP system, and so we started kind of looking around, and they decided that they wanted something that they could have the source code to because that was kind of a that was a problem with the system that they had uh, and we started looking around and the tools that we found that were appealing were mostly based on Postgres, you know, like the database in the backend. So I kind of got a crash course on running Postgres and running it um, on OS 10. And uh, yeah, so anyway, so that, that's how I got started. And I just kind of walked up to this guy, Josh Berkus with a friend of mine, and started asking him a bunch of questions about Postgres at, at OSCON, actually, many years ago. And as we were asking him questions, he was like, well, you guys seem to know quite a bit. Like, maybe you should just start a user group in Portland. And so we did. And that was kind of the beginning of the crazy That's Postgres cool.
0: user group. Yeah. So, like, typically how many people would you get coming out?
1: Um, the first one was three of us.
2: <laughs> <And> <laughs> hey, you got to start yeah, somewhere. Yeah, those are usually the better ones i found.
1: <laughs> That's a conspiracy.
0: Was that all it three Postgres users in Portland?
1: In the world? Uh, no. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> so my friend David Wheeler and Gabrielle Roth and I, and we just uh, we were like, sure, three people makes a meeting. And so we did that for a while uh, until we started. I mean, we started getting, you know, 10 or 15 people, I think the most that we've ever gotten was about probably thirty or thirty five and that was for a relational algebra cocktail hour, I think. I think we also got a lot for um, a refactoring party where we took the schema for RT and just kinda did a live drunken refactor. I think anytime we invite people to come drink with us and like do something funny with code, like they they get pretty excited. Uh, yeah, but we've been doing that now for five years. That's
2: you know, one time I had a refactor party for RT where I just deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that software. <sighs>
0: yeah. Yes, I remember using RT. So they used RT someplace that I worked, and I was not impressed with it either. But you know, maybe it's because my Canadian standards are different.
2: Yeah, that's probably. <laughs>
0: It wasn't <laughs> enough "oot" and a "boot" in it, so you know.
1: <laughs> well, you know my uh, my current business partner is the original author of RT. So
0: no, I shouldn't have know. said that. <laughs> That's Oops. us making friends everywhere
1: Oops. we go. <laughs> wow! No, he took he took the refactoring. Uh, party in the spirit it was intended, which was, you know.
0: Which was to toss system. out all the refactorings afterwards, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? Nice, yeah. So
1: give us the finger <laughs> and <tell> us. Yeah. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah.
2: So you got, um, so like what, what version of, of Postgres did you start messing with, like back then? Like what, like around what version was it that you were, you started like working with it?
1: I started with 8.1, which is past a lot of the really bad stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I I think badness. I actually I used Postgres a fair bit like so but it would have been like late 90s, early 2000s, so I think it was like around version 7. Yeah. Yeah that, was, uh, yeah,
1: that was fr- Yeah, my yeah, my
0: first with experiences that. with Postgres are about that uh, about that same time too. I and I I
2: I have actually always liked Postgres quite a bit. Um it's, Aww. uh, I think the thing, it, it, uh, I think that it, it, in some ways it was always kind of, uh, I think it was the, uh, a lot of times it was a matter of accessibility, but, um, that sometimes it could be a little intimidating, but, uh, there's always a lot of cool stuff you could do with it. Um, like I always liked the, per, like the authentication and permission stuff was really good in it. Like it was, you could do all sorts of neat stuff like, allow certain users only from certain IPs, and they would use different authentication things and stuff like that. That was always cool. I don't know. I don't have anything else for it. I think we ended up using it back at that old gig I had, like, in the early turn of the millennium, uh, because it had, or still has, I'm sure, like, some basic... Trigonometry functions in it, so you could do things like radial searches. Or like, oh, the big thing was zip code stuff. Like, you could say, okay, what's the nearest thing to this zip code?
3: Mm, yeah.
2: Right, and yeah. That, that was something that we could do in Postgres, but you couldn't do in MySQL. So that's why we chose Postgres for it because <laughs> it could figure it out itself, like in the SQL query, you know. So we could it just did
1: that. Yeah, for Yeah, the the GIS functionality is pretty amazing. Postgres is a is actually a project separate from Postgres itself and licensed differently so we can never actually distribute them together, unfortunately. (laughs) But, uh, but it's an amazing project and we think, we guess, we really have no idea, right? But we guess that it's probably about half of our user base. Um, I think Instagram actually put something on Quora not too long ago saying that the reason why they chose Postgres was because of PostGIS. But all of, all of Instagram is uh, Postgres, which is kind of awesome. Well,
2: that makes so, sense because they're doing location based stuff a ton. Yeah, of
1: totally. Right. All the time. Yeah, there's a ton of actually little startups. Uh, I was doing Postgres consulting exclusively for a couple of years, and we'd often get calls from these poor, sad sacks who had tried to put Postgres um, on EBS volumes and then just kind of had them disappear. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> they were trying to find their data. Um, And uh, there were so many of these startups basing their whole businesses on the Twitter firehose, you know, and trying to do location-based stuff and using Postgres for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a ton, ton of them.
0: So, Selena, I mean, I've used Postgres quite a bit. my little sports geek thing that I do for where I'm involved in this simulation baseball league, all the raw data that we use to create the game that we used to actually, that we actually use for the league. Um, the data, all the raw data um, box score information, uh, weird baseball statistics splits that if I explain them, would we'll probably bore you guys to tears. We use Postgres I've for seen
1: that. Geek. I know what that's about.
0: Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> if you ask, if, if someone's to ask you why, why you, would recommend Postgres over MySQL, especially today, because my my initial thoughts were that at, at one time Postgres was a little bit ahead of the curve. It it wasn't as fast, but it was stabler and it had better um, cluster and you know replication support. The MySQL did, and then MySQL did manage to catch up by providing relatively stable implementations for doing master slave and clustering stuff. So these days. Uh, What would you say are the big selling points for Postgres, other than the fact that uh, a pathological hatred for Oracle is probably always a good thing to have?
2: I was going to say that was my number one
0: reason now. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, I think the first question is which MySQL.
0: Let's say uh, MySQL MySQL 5.5 versus Postgres
2: 9. I guess we're talking about the official release from... From yeah, now with owned by Oracle. The official,
1: yeah, there's the official release. There's Percona. There's MariaDB. Okay, let's say um, Percona because
0: actually I, I do for on my own little virtual host that I have that has MySQL. I'm using the Percona flavor of uh, MySQL. So can that's
1: you? Cool. I, actually, I know I, yeah. I know those guys, uh, Percona guys. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a it's a challenging question. I wish I wish I had like this really pat. Answer for you because a lot of times this decision often comes down to very non like non technical reasons. Like somebody will know a lot of people in the MySQL community or already have a lot of MySQL DBA contacts or MySQL developer contacts or maybe the developers that they hire just prefer to work with MySQL. So like they're the decision making um, is often not very based on some technical criteria, right? Uh, And what we see a lot of the time now with people using Postgres and kind of a lot of the web developers using Postgres is they're they're attracted to it for the things like the GIS functionality or the ability to just hack Postgres itself and add an extension, add a data type, and support exactly the data that they want to put into the database the way that they have the data now, right? So that's that's something that is encouraged in our community, like really like getting into the guts of the data and modeling it in exactly the way that you want it represented and that's not kind of the same I don't know how maybe like um, culture basically uh, with people who are using mySqL um, so you know that that's one thing that I'll find uh the the other stuff that we are really um, into in our community, I think just precision, you know, like we really like to uh, represent money, for example, in very precise ways. Um, and we really like to, if you put data into our database in a certain way, we really want to give you that data exactly the same way back. So, um, you know, that, that it's, there's just kind of this policy of least surprise attitude in the way that people code and the way that we operate as a community. Uh, so, you know, it's it's just it's it's a little different, I would say.
0: Well, that's a hell of a sales job. It <laughs> <laughs> makes I me want to right. run out and look at Postgres and go,
1: officially, yeah, I'm a fuck it, I'll use
0: my marketing,
1: SQL. marketing team. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Like I'm uh, we we could use some help with
0: marketing. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think, though, you raise an interesting, uh, an interesting point that the selling point could definitely be uh, things that get added onto it. Because then you talk about the GIS stuff, which, I mean, I haven't played with it a lot, but I'll tell you, it sounds really cool and I can definitely think that there would be applications where... Where uh, having the ability to do the you know the type of searches that Ed talked about before saying, oh, I have some coordinates, find me the closest thing in my database to this. I mean that's a very it's almost like you can look at it and say this would save us time where we wouldn't have to do this at the application level. We could get our our you know we could get the database to do it for us.
1: So right and it's a it's a way of thinking about the database as another tool in your arsenal of tools, right as a developer. And some people they really are not into that, right? There's kind of been, uh, for a long time, there was a lot of pushback against that. Like, you know, you want to have all of your, you know, logic for that. You want to have that in your code and you want the database to just be this stupid, you know, data slinging thing. Like I, you don't, you don't want it to do anything extra. You don't want to have stored procedures. You know, you want to just steer, steer clear of anything like that. And I think that, um, that, attitude is changing a little bit it's like what's the best tool for the job what's going to do it fastest where can i offload computation so that i'm not doing it all you know maybe in the client side javascript or you know even the back-end code like i'm i'm pushing it into the database because that's the best place and the fastest place to get this work done
2: i guess that makes sense <laughs> no yeah, 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 it does um,
1: yeah, yeah I'm not being as entertaining as I was hoping I would be. I know. Well, we're talking about
3: oh,
2: we, stuff. <laughs> we can
1: build
0: up towards it.
2: So i I remember um, a good talk that was at was it at last year OS Bridge? I think Josh Berkus did it, and it, he was going He talked about um, different kinds of databases and like SQL and non and what have you, and uh, I remember people were talking about it on Twitter like before the talk started, and he was like, "Well, he's gonna be super biased because he works on Postgres and this is gonna be lame and then he totally was like really like um even handed about it right, and I appreciated that and I was wondering uh not that you are him and that you think the same thing that he does, but I'm interested to hear about your perspective as a, a member of that, of the Postgres community, like how you feel about, um, this, uh, all this excitement about, uh, non SQL databases.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my attitudes about that have changed over time. Like a couple years ago, I gave a talk, uh, at LCA, which is Linux conf AU, um, about, open source databases in general, and that included a bunch of NoSQL databases. And I, I I was just kind of interested in how many were out there and what types of problems they were designed to solve. And I found over 50, at that point, uh, active uh, right. development projects. And I contacted them all and I sent them, like, you know, a bunch of questions, standard survey stuff, and started kind of looking at, you know, what their development style was, what problems they were trying to solve, and um, and what general kind of groupings they fell into. And I actually talked to Josh Burkus a lot about this at the time because he's he's been in the database world for quite a bit longer than I have, and has seen, right. you know, some of these the the ebb and the flow of the different styles of databases that have been in vogue or whatever. And, you know, at the time, and I, I still think that this is true to a certain extent, like, a lot of the reasons why we have seen an, ups, you know, an upsurge in these non-relational databases because they were really solving new problems, you know, and these big problems at scale that were very difficult and very expensive to solve with the software that existed. Like, if you were trying to, like, do something that people use Hadoop for now in Oracle... Like it'd be insanely, first of all, it'd be insanely expensive. Um, and second of all, you might not even be able to do what you wanna do because you just have so much data. And, um, and yeah, and you just, you just can't do that with a, a traditional uh, SQL database. So, I mean, we've got new problems, I guess, in, in summary, we've got new problems. Um, and people were willing to spend the developer time to create a custom solution. And then we had all these like great papers out there that you could use as a template for your code. And so people had enough hubris setting out that they were like, oh, this will totally be easy. You know, like we'll just take this paper and we'll implement this, uh, (laughs) this MapReduce infrastructure, you know, we'll just do it. And then they go after it, you know, and like three years later, (laughs) they come out with some code and, um, and it's great. But, you know, it's, it's been quite a bit of investment on the parts of a lot of big companies, but we've gotten some really cool, really cool stuff that people are using. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I, you know, so it's this new problems thing. And then I think the other thing is is that the SQL databases just weren't addressing the availability issues that people were having, right? Like weren't uh, like earlier. Uh, I think Chris mentioned the the clustering and the replication and stuff like that. I mean SQL databases in general are not addressing the the clustering and replication needs of these uh the in the way they're not they're not addressing the clustering and replication needs of these new types of datas that we have out there, you know these giant um things like what LinkedIn has what uh, uh any any of the big shops that use a lot of Hadoop like Mozilla, mm-hmm. you know we just can't. Uh, yeah, the the SQL databases just aren't addressing it operationally. And so right. and you know, people you, are writing their own my,
0: tools. Yep. And I remember MySQL, MySQL, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. My uh replication <laughs> was a big problem at when I used to work for a really skeevy uh, dating site where we had slaves that were 30 minutes behind the master on replication. Fun times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not very much time, really, too, and what people and really end up seeing. And that's not just a problem for MySQL. It happens happens everybody. But yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that, so you're seeing things that address these operational issues. Uh, you know, we can get the data replicated out and you can query it in a reasonable amount of time. Um, but then, But then you also see that people kind of have hybrid infrastructure. You know, they don't just have at least, you know, in the infrastructure that I see. And, you know, my my experience um, is not in the really huge, uh, really huge data sets that are non-relational, you know? Like, I, I mostly have worked with places that are, like, um, you know, OLTP-type workloads and, uh, you know, web, you know, selling, selling of things like backcountry.com, like, stuff like that where they've got you know, a big SQL database and then they've also got, you know, some analytics that they need to run. And so they've got like a data warehouse and then maybe they've they've got some MapReduce infrastructure or something Hadoopy to um, do analytics on their web web traffic. So you know, I wouldn't say that I, I I've seen seen it all by any stretch of the imagination, but the slice that I have seen, they, they generally go for a hybrid hybrid infrastructure at this point.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even I mean, at MoonToast, we definitely have hybrid. Our main uh, database is, uh, is MySQL, but we also use uh, we use Redis, we use MongoDB, we use uh, Memcache uh, for caching. So, and, and even if you start using things like Membase, or I guess it's Couchbase now, um, <laughs> right? Uh, the the hybrid solutions, yeah, they're everywhere, and it, it's the uh, I. You know, I agree with you. The pendulum has swung. The pendulum swings back and forth between I want all-in-one solutions to I want specific solutions for specific problems. And we're definitely at a phase in, at least in web application architecture, where people are are very comfortable with um, with hybrid solutions.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean that's and that's a problem actually in terms of hiring. You know, like it's there's so much new stuff out there. It's really difficult to hire uh, DBAs that know this stuff. It's really difficult to hire uh, uh, even web people who really understand, you know, all of the different tech that they need to work with now. And then it's incredibly difficult to f- hire ops people that can operate both, you know, a Hadoop cluster, a Postgres instance, you know. Maybe also a MySQL instance, you know, a Redis cluster. Like, you got to figure out, like, all this load balancing stuff. I mean, it's just such a crazy array of skills that you have to have now to operate in a modern modern web shop.
2: Yeah, I think we definitely found that some of the technology choices we've made on our projects have been uh, based on, do we have friends who have worked with this? You know, it's kind of like... (laughs) It's, it's, it's a yeah, lot totally. like it's, it, no, but it's really a lot. Like you were talking about like why people chose, you know, say Postgres versus MySQL or what have you. A lot of it was like, do I know a guy who works on this? Like, right. And, <laughs> and
1: am I going to be able to like hire them? You know, right, that's the right. Question. Like, right. I'm trying to hire somebody right now and it's so impossible. It's crazy. Right.
2: Ugh. Uh, I mean, I, I know that we definitely have made choices like that based on like do we know that we can talk to somebody who's worked with it like that we trust, you know, and maybe not hire them, but, but we're good enough friends that we could like pick their brain, you know, uh, over stuff or like, I don't understand how to do this. Can you tell me how to do it? Basically. Um, and that has made a big difference because I like there, you're not going to run into, there's not like a bevy of like, you know, MongoDB expert ops guys, like there's not a <laughs> bunch of them out here you know so the unless they're the people who actually work for the company who you know Tengen and whatever the name is you know those guys aren't there and you know for and you know same goes for any other sort of like it's a, it's it's kind of specific and there's not going to be a ton of people who have a, a a bunch of knowledge about it the same way that you could be like well i you know there's you know i i'm i'm completely not into for the most part, things like certifications and stuff like that. But, you know, you can go like, are you an Oracle certified dude? And you could be like, yes, there's lots of those guys, you know, and it's easier I, to find those kinds of things because it's, you know, a solution that lots of people work with. So.
1: Well, that's a huge problem in our community right now. Like we, we can't like produce enough Postgres DBAs fast enough for the demand we get I I mean I wouldn't say uh, More than 20, but it's approaching that you know these job postings every week on Just our you know, we've got a mailing list pgsql jobs You know people are posting trying to find DBAs and I've just seen the years of experience requirement Go down and down. And <laughs> down, and down. <laughs> now they're like, uh, two. It's gonna, years, to the po- they're, it's gonna get to the point.
0: It's gonna get to the point that down man, we just you know? they're gonna get to the point where it's like we just need somebody who's heard of Postgres,
1: <laughs> right? Like, can you pronounce it correctly? You know, do you say Postgre or Postgres? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's intense. And so we get people coming to our conferences saying, you know, how the hell do we find these people? And and what I'm what I'm finding from the kind of more experienced shops that have had a few Postgres DBAs for maybe the last like three or four years is they're like well we're just hiring Oracle DBAs and retraining them because they're not any they're not any more expensive really for us for what we need them to do and it's close enough and they're willing so you know we'll just take one of those guys and retrain them and that's better than you know sitting and feeling sad for months because we can't Find anybody that really knows Postgres,
2: right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to stop talking about databases? We have cooler stuff to talk about, right?
0: <laughs> oh, we have lots of cool stuff to talk about. So, the so I know we were asking you b- before uh, the podcast about the language that you that you use uh, in your day to day work, and so I just wanted to. You uh, mentioned that you used Perl, uh, which is probably the most maligned language uh, after php these days so (laughs) as your perspective as a pearl person i know you posted a wonderful list into a link in our uh pirate pad that we used to plan the show about uh about where Pearl ranks on some stupid bullshit list, so I don't give a damn about that stuff. But I wanted to get your—I <laughs> don't care how fucking popular Pearl is. I wanted to get—I know a guy who's a Pearl hacker, and he—and uh, he's given up. Pearl I think it was move. when
1: that Java had surpassed PHP. I just wanted to get that. Oh yeah. yeah. I just
0: wanted right. to Two just, words, whatever. No. So, uh, so I want to get your <laughs> thoughts on on—I guess what I like to call modern Pearl, like where Pearl fits in. Um, these days because I mean you even as a hardcore Pearl person you must admit that you don't see too much demand from startups where they're like, Yeah, we're building this really rad thing and we're using Pearl. So <laughs> no, So <laughs> talk to us a little bit about like kind of what the modern Pearl landscape looks like. Like what are people using? <laughs> what are they? What are they doing? Are they just keep resu- Are they just basically using the same old uh, fucked up code that they wrote ten years ago because Perl still lets them do that? <laughs> like what? Like what's going on with Perl these days? Can all, you all, kind of
2: summarize it? It's all CGI. Oh, uh, I'm like, Yeah, all
1: CGI. All CGI.pm. Um, uh, I you know. Uh, I'm like the worst person in the world to ask this question of. Like, I've actually been um, writing Python for the last, like, two years, mostly. Sweet
0: Friend of the podcast, wherever you go. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, And before that, I was hacking on some PHP, some Java, a little bit of Perl. Like, I've been, you know, and my first language was C++, so I'm just kind of damaged goods from that you know like I <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know I mean I like Perl as a community right like these are my people I don't know what that says um ultimately to your audience but um that you know that that was my first language out of college and what I wrote everything in like my first little app that I wrote to manage switches and routers at intel you know like I, I wrote it in Perl Um, and it's still, I mean, it's still, a you know, I mean, it's the language of a lot of science. Um, and so, so modern pearl, it's a very fragmented community in a sense, because I think that there's so much of it and it's so spread out and kind of, I I think of it as thin. I don't know if that's really true, but I, you know, my friends that are doing stuff with Pearl that they, they work in a lot of different industries and aren't necessarily working together as much, you know, like I don't, I don't see, um, with, with a very few exceptions, like there's this company run track here in the Portland area that has, has, um, has a community of Pearl people around it. Like almost everyone in Portland has worked for run track at some point, but it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of thin. And the, the old school Perl programmers that I know, they they write in other languages and they kind of take some of their Perl ethos, you know, around testing especially into other companies and communities. But there just isn't as much of it. And I think part of it has to do with, you know, the younger, hipper companies and stuff like that. They're really not that into Perl. Um, but, you know, I mean, we're still beating Groovy, so that's good, right? Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. In <laughs> Cold Fusion, um, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, it's I I still find Perl to be a very expressive language for my own private code. You know, like if I'm writing something one-off, um, it seems very natural for me to write it in Perl. But I also feel pretty comfortable in Python now too. Uh, so. I just
0: I asked mm-hmm. because when when cause you were saying that you're you know you're trying to hire for your little startup and we should probably uh, let you talk about that as well and I did notice that one of the requirements for this front end developer that you were looking for is that you wanna you mentioned the technologies that you're using you're using uh, Batman JS and that you're also mentioning Pearl so why you so in the context of that because I'm all, I mean uh, I'm a I mean I'm a PHP guy because that's the tech I've used the most but I'm also uh um you know I enjoy a good spot of Python, and, and I'm trying to get my JavaScript uh, skills up to the point where I can look at some node code and just go, Pfft, that's bullshit, and I know how to fix it. So I'm just kind <laughs> of interested in, in – in, 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 because, again, because Perl is not – like you said, I mean you identified it correctly. The hipsters aren't into Perl, so I'm kind of interested in, in – uh, finding out like what you guys are doing with Pearl and may, and you can, you know, feel free to, to plug the stuff that the company that you're working for is doing. Cause I always find that sort of um, shit fascinating, not being facetious, oh, sure, or yeah. not being facetious or anything. <laughs> I, love to, I love to hear what other people are doing because it always gives me a, a, a much better perspective on things.
1: Sure. Um, so, so my company is prime radiant and we're working on a tool that, um, I mean, in, in the, the shortest summary, it manages checklists, and um, it's, uh, it's so a Santa's process. like a potential big customer. <laughs> nice Santa, yes, um, or yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't even best that. best really derail deal, ever. You know to manage your packing list. No, that yeah. was really good. Um, <laughs> I, actually, the the thing that uh, I've, I've seen a lot of different interesting things that people are doing with it but the the thing that I that comes to mind most frequently especially for people like us who who do web development uh, is just you know release checklists um, and when you're like pulling code live or something okay. the things that you go through especially the things that have to do with other people like you're letting your team know that you're gonna do that um, and you made sure that you ran all your tests and um, and you know there's there's a set of for us it started out as five things and now it's like you know 12 or 13 and some of the things you know it's like as we're going through we automate it out if we can uh and then there's other things where you know we want there actually to be a pause point and we say hey no actually announce on irc that you're going to do this right now so that we know because um, we're not you know those uh continuous integration hot shots but uh so, so that that's one thing that we're kind of kind of using it for. But so, as far as like the the code itself, um, we're using a framework called Jifty, and um, it's it's very moderny. Like, so so I'm gonna confess right now, like I'm I'm not a software architect, right? Like, I work I work way deep on the back end on databases uh, when I'm when I'm touching you know web development code at all. Uh, and I mostly just fix bugs. So <laughs> so me describing this, um, it's probably gonna make my my co founder uh, laugh a little bit. But uh, but yeah, so we, we use Jifty. Um, they they've got tools that are kind of like the Python virtual env tools. Like there's a thing called uh Pearl Brew, you know, so you set up, you know, basically a virtual env type environment with this thing called Perlbrew Brew and you can run different versions of Perl. Uh oh, and very then cool. Yeah, and then, you know, you can install modules the same way that you might in a virtual env. And I think there's something similar for PHP, isn't there? You kind of... Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Wait. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry.
3: You mean,
2: <laughs> you mean like you write another virtual machine and you just have to install a whole different version?
0: Oh, that's funny. With different um, switches and different extensions, oh. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there's a virtual lamp system for it. It's called a VPS. But anyway, keep going. Yeah,
1: yeah, Perl one PHP zero. Anyway, um, so yeah, and then we. <laughs> uh, so so there's just some pretty interesting technology there that I think anybody who's doing modern web development would feel relatively comfortable in. You know, in spite of the fact that it's Perl. Um, the other, and- the
0: other uh, framework that I've that I'm familiar with, because I have heard of Jifty. The other yeah. one is uh, Catalyst. So those yes. seems to be yeah. most of the time. I've whenever I've them. in the in the few times I've gone insane and, and dived into searching for information about building web apps with with Perl, usually after I've had too much to drink, I start thinking about stupid ideas that I want to do. So uh, I've noticed that it seems basically Catalyst. If you Catalyst and Jifty, if you care. And you roll your own stuff uh, if you're really old school.
1: Yeah, right. And uh, we're not that old school. Uh, so, so, yeah, so we're doing that. And then uh, we have, of course, an API. And, you know, we built a prototype just using Jifty. And now, you know, that's why the Batman thing was in there. We're using Batman uh, to construct uh, this JavaScript front end. Why
2: would you choose? Uh, or why are you going with Batman as opposed to anything else?
1: Uh, so, um, we're working with a couple, uh, other developers and this was a technology decision recommended to us, you know, or sorry, uh, it was a, a, technology recommended to us by one of the, one of the developers we're working with. There were a couple other choices again, like I'm stepping way outside of my area of expertise, oh, no, which, that's fine. I'm but, just curious. yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was, um, I don't know I think that the the person that was working with us on it um Audrey Tang she was she just liked it you know it felt very elegant to her and kind of fit with the way that she was thinking about our application so um and she looked at three or four others gosh I should have thought about this before I got on the podcast but I didn't um uh, so stupid um anyway uh so uh there were We did look at a couple other things, and I could later on just send you an email with a couple other things that we did look at, but in the intros, Batman. Yeah, like you know,
2: something you just said that it now I, I'm going to paraphrase, but I've often found that there there's uh, technical arguments to make, and there's pluses and minuses where in terms of like, like what expertise you have for this or that or what have you, but Oftentimes, I think what it comes down to where you have a, especially you have, there's several different choices for, um, some technology use for some part of your stack. I think it comes down to is what just sort of makes sense to your brain and like, yeah. what, okay, this just feels more comfortable to me than X, Y, Z. And to bring it back to me, cause that's, you know, what I like to talk about the, uh, Like that's like a big thing that I've had trouble, to some extent, articulating because it kind of seems like bullshit, and but I don't (laughs) think it is, and it's kind of come up a lot where I've been talking about like I how I'm sort of not not a fan of like larger frameworks and larger code bases and more and autoloaders, right? Exactly, and (laughs) it just it it's to some extent it comes down to. I don't, I'm not really particularly comfortable with it, and it doesn't like it. Some things just make more sense to me than others, and some things just jive more with I feel like how my brain works than other things. And so that's why I feel like I tend to make certain kinds of decisions. And there's maybe there's something, there's certainly something to be said about like pushing your boundaries, you know what I mean? Um, but at some, yeah. to some extent, too... Maybe yeah, I'm maybe just, just lean into
1: it a little harder and then... Right, yeah.
2: just try a little bit, maybe. And I just don't want yeah. to try, right? <laughs> but um, I don't really want to learn. I And maybe it's just I've gotten to a point where I'm kind of like, you know what? There's a lot of stuff out there and I'm just... Unless I can detect some kind of strong upside, like going into it, where it's like, well, it would really be advantageous to learn this. I'm... I'm just not particularly motivated to go into something where I know there's a significant learning curve anymore. It, and I, maybe that's because hmm. I'm not 22 anymore. know, Right. And I'm kind of like, I've got a lot of stuff I can build these things with, and I'd rather do something that I can start building with sooner rather than later, I guess, you know, uh, I don't know now I'm off. I was, that was complete tangent, but I no, guess, I,
1: I think, you know, I actually think that way kind of about software communities. Mm hmm. Um, I think that a lot of the times why certain people gravitate towards certain software communities is just because the way that they think meshes well with right. that software community, mm-hmm. right? Like you get there and you can just kind of settle into it and you kind of know what's going on and you know how other people are thinking about things and it just feels sort of right. Um, right. And and that's that's something that I really appreciate. In the you know, some of my coworkers, you know, that I worked with over the years, the ones that can really identify that feeling and just kind of go for it, you know, like really like they do, they lean into it and they're like, "All right, you know, like this thing just really like fits for me. Like I feel really good about going in this direction with this technology and it's solving my problem. So I'm just going to go for it. Right. Uh, and we find that a lot, like in the Postgres community part of the reason why I think that it's because it's it's an older community that the project was founded I think the same year or maybe the year before MySQL was and the people involved in it I was just just uh, just like two days ago actually I was having a conversation with somebody about some you know internal Postgres you know people stuff and he sends me this email where he links to a conversation that was really similar to the one that we were having now but from like 2002 or something. And he (laughs) sends me like all these emails, you know, and it's, you know, the same people with, you know, plus or minus a couple people, but the same people kind of talking about these same issues and kind of how they thought through it before. And and it was really cool, you know, to see that community and that feeling and the way that they were thinking about things that like the way that we solve problems as a community hasn't really changed that much. You know, like even me, I'm relatively new. I only kind of started with the community in 2006, um, but we still kind of think through problems and solve them together in a very similar way. And I think that's really interesting right. thing about about open source communities.
2: Yeah, I think there's something too that's interesting. Anyway, it's, it's I, when you brought it up, especially because like right now, there's you know 30 different options you have for front end. JavaScript frameworks or component libraries, or whatever. Like right. there's literally right. there's a I am a plethora and in the the sort of bad definition of plethora of options. <laughs> and uh, You're such a poser, plethora. Come on, Ed. No, it, it's a word. <laughs> and it, it, it just because it's a
0: real word doesn't mean you should use it.
2: Well, I intend because it's the right word. Damn it! There's an overabundance of options, right? And I th- And it's it's great in a lot of ways, but it also means that it's like, you know, when you're making a decision, you're starting a project, is like, which of these 25 things will I choose? And it sort of gets into that tyranny of choice idea where it's like, there's so many options that you basically can't choose anything and it screws you up and you end up doing, you end up being less productive because you're worrying about these kinds of things. Like there's too many, yeah. you know, there's too much stuff to do and it makes you less likely to actually make, just make a decision and do something. Um, or you're constantly second guessing like the decisions, you know. That's like, well, why didn't you use Sammy, or why didn't you, you know, or the, you know, whatever, right? right. Um, yeah. No, it's it's yeah. completely
1: true, and sometimes it's nice, um, to be able to just kind of say, "All right, you know, we're gonna try this." And I mean, that's, I mean, we we asked somebody to help us, you know, and they kind of looked through the different options and gave the pros and cons, and we're like, you know what, mm-hmm. I would like to use this framework, and so they, they implemented, you know, a par- did a partial API implementation for us. And, and um, yeah, and now our our lead dev is kind of um, chugging through the rest of the implementation there and really learning learning Batman.
0: Awesome. Uh, I, but, can't, I can't wait yeah. for DarkNight.js to come out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want Joker.js. Yeah. That's what I want. Why so crazy.
0: serious? <laughs> nice. So you mentioned open source. So this brings us to another reason why it's uh, I think it's interesting to talk to you. You are heavily involved with, open source bridge so why don't you talk about that and how you got involved with it and all that other wonderful stuff and i will say before you launch into this that i wish i could go but it's so goddamn far from toronto for me to uh come out there and flying out of toronto is like flying out of the most expensive airport on the goddamn planet and you're you're
1: basically you're basically in like the the arctic circle or something too up there right i mean it's like no no i'm
2: just uh, south
1: the Just going. barely, yeah, barely sound. You
2: have to ride, so ride like a polar bear it, to the airport.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> it goes on up there. Um, uh, yeah. So, open source bridge was or is still still going on, obviously. But uh, when we were first thinking about doing it, uh, so so there's there's kind of a a very active and um, uh, social. Open source and just in general tech community in the Portland area, and uh, that at the time, just before Open Source Bridge, you know the idea came that we should that we should do this. Uh, a few people had gotten together and they had started this nonprofit uh, called Legion of Tech, um, and they they were running primarily running the Portland Bar Camp and also Ignite uh, at the time the Ignite Portland. And those were really two very popular events. Like, in its heyday, Bar Camp was 350, 400 people. Like, we'd have to, you know, stop people from coming in the door because the space we were using was over uh, Fire Marshal Bob's, you know, limit or whatever. Um, and uh, and the Ignites, we were having them at the Baghdad Theater, which is a which is an awesome beer theater in Portland. And, you know, that houses like, I don't know, maybe like Six, seven hundred people, or something like that, and we'd fill that to capacity as well, and couldn't have people in either, so we had these two like amazing popular events, and people were really excited and happy about that um and so for a couple of years, we've been talking about, hey, like we should have a nonprofit run uh tech event that just really focuses on the way that people in Portland relate to technology and that would be really great. And it would be especially great if it was kind of around open source stuff too because we have a couple of cool projects in town that people are working on. Um, we've got Linus here. Uh, you know, what What can we do? Um, so so even before uh, we finally, you know, pulled the trigger on we've kind of been talking about doing some kind of a cool open source event. And then uh, OSCON, uh, which is kind of this very uh, established, venerable open source event that O'Reilly runs moved the location from Portland down to uh, I think it was San Jose. It's either Santa Clara or San Jose Convention Center. And that was a big blow to the open source community in Portland. Like people were really upset about it uh, because they were like you know, this always comes to Portland which actually isn't true. Like initially I think the first time they ever did it was maybe down in San Diego or something. Um, And originally OSCON itself they had kind of wanted to run it like a like a LISA or a Usenix conference that kind of moves around from city to city. But they just ended up settling in Portland for many years. And so when they moved it, people in Portland kind of freaked out. <laughs> and they were like, ah, you know, what's gonna happen this year, you know, losing this signature open source event. So um a few of us were like, oh, how hard could it be? you know, how hard could it be to run?
0: <laughs> how hard could it be to run a complete
1: volunteer driven conference? I don't know. sounds real easy to me. <laughs> totally. So easy. All we got to do, you know, anyway, so, um, so we were at, you know, one of the many unconferences that were happening at the time and, uh, like 15 or 20 of us packed into this room and, you know, drew up a bunch of notes and made these hilarious sketches, you know, of the topics and everything. And I have pictures of all of these, like, hilarious things that we um, thought that we wanted to do. And uh, in the end, uh, Audrey Eshrite and I agreed to co-chair an event. Uh, so that was the, the first conference. And it was really crazy and hard. And we wrote some conference management software, as every volunteer conference thinks that they need to do. We wrote this from scratch. Um, of course. Is, yeah. Oh my god. Um, it's great software. It's still uh they still use it today and it's amazing. Now it's uh it's called Open Conferenceware. Um and they publish like all of the style sheets and like everything for it. Uh it's really great. Um and uh anyway, so, you know, we did that. Um we did so many things from scratch that were just insane. And, and the first conference was like 500 people um over at uh the Oregon Convention Center, um, and uh, the city helped us with fundraising. We ended up actually getting Rasmus Lerdorf to come um, that first year. He was really excited about it, and he came the second year too, um, and gave gave hilarious talks each year. You know about you know breaking into people's sites and the horrible vulnerabilities that so many PHP sites have in them. Yeah. Um, we actually had the first uh, hip hop talk too. Actually happened at open source. Oh
2: yeah, that's right. I, I think I remember that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Like people were just blown away by that. They were so excited. Um, uh, so anyway, so that, that, you know, and the kind of the spirit behind the conference, like there's all that like inside, inside baseball talk that I just gave, which probably no one really cares about at all. But the, the, the spirit of the conference is really just about, you know, what are you hacking on right now? That's exciting to you. Um, how can you, Share that and engage the audience in a conversation about the technology that you're excited about. Uh, and um, you know, and then we we grouped things in these three categories that didn't have anything to do with a particular language um, or a particular technology that you were working on. just kind of the difference between somebody who's kind of talking about theory. Versus someone who's talking about, you know, we, we did this cooking um, in chemistry, you know, chemistry being kind of the theory and cooking being like the practical application and then business um, and culture and then and then a track on just hacks, uh, which had some of the most hilariously strange things like, you know, controlling connect with your beard um, type talks. Uh, so, you know, it's it was super fun. So I, I was involved with it the first two years. And then, um, pass it on. And so I'm actually not running the conference anymore, which is tremendous relief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much work. Um, and like kudos to the people that, I mean, there's several people who have been involved with it from the beginning and we've picked up, you know, five or six more kind of community leaders in the meantime. And it's amazing. I'm just really excited about the fact that it's like, that it's continued on, you know, and, and we've been able to migrate people in and out of leadership roles there without having it die. So it's, uh, it's kind of one of my favorite things, actually. I'm really, yeah, I really love that conference. It's really great.
2: It is a really good conference. So you have a lot to be proud of, I think.
1: Aw, thank you. Isn't
2: that nice? Yeah, um, I uh, have really enjoyed going to it the past two years. And so it's been really cool. Um, it looks like I'm not going to be able to go this year, so I'm kind of bummed about that. But um, one of the things I was interested in is that, you know, and it, it kind of it dovetails into um, some other stuff we were going to talk about. Um, about that One of the things that I think is notable about uh, when I, I go to a conference in Portland as opposed to conferences that I go to in other places is that there are a lot more women involved. Um, <laughs> I actually like. I actually think, relatively speaking, in the PHP community conferences that I go to, we do pretty good, and it's maybe like ten percent. But there's some. I but there's there's a, a a fair number of women involved and or doing who are sort of like prominent community members. But it's still obviously it's it is not say balanced. You know what I mean. Right. Um, I'm curious to know what you think, why do you think it is that say Portland seems a little bit different in that respect and that it like, not only just are there women participants, but there are women in leadership roles in that, in the community there that we don't necessarily have in other, at least other places that I've observed.
1: Yeah. Oh man. It's such a big question. Like, I, I wish I had, like, an easy right. easy answer for it. Um, mm-hmm. some of it. Some of it, I think, is just lucking out a little bit. Right. Like, my, um, my personality is just the type of personality where, you know, I, I grew up in kind of a redneck, you know, environment. And even there was kind of a loud mouth and didn't <laughs> – I <laughs> didn't find really that shocking. Yeah. I know. Shocking. Unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and I just came from this, this background where I didn't really give a shit, you know, what people said about me or um, or what they thought I should be doing because I was just kind of going to do my own thing anyway. Uh, and so I kind of came into the open source community with a pretty thick skin. and. Right. I mean, the, the mailing list and and the people even can be terrifying, you know, if you're encountering this for the first time. Like a friend of mine who's like a really, like a lovely person, like she went to a user group um, for an entire year and not a single person talked to her, you know. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's just kind of like this crazy pathological i don't know like antisocial thing sometimes for people um and yet and yet you know she just kept going for some reason which i can't really figure out and now she loves it you know she's got friends um in these communities and is a is a leader in her own right and uh does lots of amazing things but you know like if that's the barrier you know if you have to go to a user group for an entire year and have no one talk to you like how many people are really going to like stand for that you know it's just yeah. not yeah <laughs> it's no, just
0: that's, not that's pretty pretty a bit of a weird experience uh, but i mean but I, I can I, uh, yeah, i can see yeah. how that could happen especially if you're not uh uh assertive egomaniacs like i am so it's right. uh, it, uh it's uh it's <laughs> it does require i mean i my experiences from uh helping to run the the php users group is that um for some people it requires effort that requires like real effort to get them to talk to new people in an unfamiliar uh, setting. But uh, fortunately I don't have that problem. So I have, so I sometimes have a hard time putting myself uh, in those people's uh, uh, shoes, but um, but yeah, but please continue.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, to try to like answer that question, like I, I think that we managed to end up with some women who were both really, Believed in, you know, either open source itself or um, open culture, you know, like these, these types of like sharing ideologies, you know, they, they were into it. Um, and they were pretty good leaders for whatever reason. Right. Um, and they wanted to help other women, too. So it wasn't just that we had, you know, a singular woman who, you know, kind of stood out and took leadership. We also had women who were kind of helping other women and bringing them into, like I, I ended up on the board of Legion of Tech uh, because Don Foster said, hey, like I've kind of seen your name pop up in stuff and you seem cool. Like why don't you come join this board of people that you have never met? And, <laughs> right. yeah. and, and why don't you join us? And that spirit uh, in the community Existed, I mean, it's existed for a long time, you know, and we, um, you know, Portland itself, you know, has had, you know, we had a woman mayor, Vera Katz, who's really strong and awesome. Um, And there's just, there's just this culture here of, of being cool with women being in charge of stuff and thinking that, you know, and, and that supporting of like women supporting other women, which isn't always present. I'll have to say, in all communities. Right. So we lucked out there. Uh, and then there was this great enthusiasm for both user groups, for, like, on conferences, for conferences, for all of, like, the independent things that people were working on, for small businesses. There's tons of women-owned businesses around tech here in Portland. Uh, so it all just kind of came together there. And then, you know, as we, as we saw little problems crop up, like, we – really felt that we wanted to have more female speakers and we thought pretty hard about how we were going to make that happen. Uh, and I already knew some other women who had kind of run conferences. Like there's this woman, uh, Emma Jane Hogman, she works a lot on Drupal stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and has written a book actually about, uh, front end Drupal design. And she, she ran a conference called HIC Tech, where she ended up with like 50% of the speakers um, there. And I think Katarina Fake actually keynoted um, for her. And, you know, she 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 just did an amazing job of bringing a bunch of women into there. And so I saw her talk before we ran our conference and I was like, oh, damn, like I, I want to be like that. And one of the things that she said was, well, you need to go out and tell women and ask them, you know, to speak and you have to do it directly and be really aggressive about it because otherwise they're just going to find an excuse not to do it Uh, because they'll find something else to do, and they won't want to do it anyway. So I spent a lot of time recruiting. uh, And then we actually had a user group specifically for women where we had, you know, these women who had never given talks before coming in and giving talks to other women. And we actually, we had men coming into the group too, but really the focus was, you know, getting women to give talks to other women. And from that, we ended up with three or or four speakers in the first year. So, um, you know, and when you've only got, like... Let's say you've got like 50 speakers, three or four female speakers makes a huge difference in terms of the ratio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so it's uh, we, there was this, you know, so, so we got these people supporting other people, which was awesome. We have this like already have women in leadership positions. Um, and then we, you know, had an environment where it was really easy for us to say, okay, we see this problem and we just want to solve it. So we're just going to go crazy and just do it. Um, and, and it all kind of came together. And it's just continued to get better and better in that way. And to the point where, you know, I don't have to go to every single event, which is awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine.
1: (laughs) You know, there's like enough women to go around, you know, like I don't have to be like the token female. Um, I don't even have to help, you know, make sure that there's like a majority or, you know, a certain percentage. You know, it's just it just is kind of normal for there to be women at these events now.
2: Which is, I guess, kind of the way you want it to be, you know. Um, <laughs> how do you like? One of the things I, I guess, in, a, in an argument I've heard come up that it comes up with when you're talking about conferences and you're talking about speakers. I think there's a tendency. I, don't, I honestly, I can't. I haven't run into many cases or any cases that I know of where that was like um, people were being uh, like women were being chosen. Over, say, male speakers, and intentionally just because they were women, as opposed, you know, um, and I, I haven't actually ever run into this, but I, I, have heard this several times when it sort of come up about like, well, how do we get more, you know, women to participate in? in
1: like, we in don't this. want to discriminate against all of like the, the affluent white men who have been speaking at these. Well, parties. exactly.
2: I mean, I think you get into that, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. I mean, wow. It, 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 right. Well, but the, but that I, I I think you know I think the the uh, I think the response is one that comes from this idea of um. I've always been a little suspicious of meritocracy stuff, but I think that there's that is, is that well, it should you should be judged entirely based on this, and so. I don't know. I am not for some reason I'm having issues articulating this. I think what it's, Ed is trying to
0: say it would be nice if for in terms of conferences of getting talks accepted that we could be totally blind to gender and that it should only be the the idea that you're presenting that matters. Is that kind of what you're getting at Ed?
2: That's the argument that I keep hearing and that I think that there's a tendency to feel to to fear that when you start hearing about well, we need to get more women doing X, Y, Z. The The thing that I hear, I don't agree with it, but the thing that I hear is this thing, uh, this idea that, well, why are you choosing these people just because they're women? Or, or you know, any ar- any other arbitrary fact about them, right?
1: Yeah, why are we choosing these tracks just because they're about Pearl? Like...
2: Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you can say that. Um, it, now I have
1: yeah, yeah, yeah no I, I get what you're saying I
2: have my own arguments about it but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that
1: Oh like about why that person yeah like, I, why, why I think that attitude is like totally stupid like, or... well
2: you don't know, it doesn't even have to be totally stupid why that argument doesn't work or why that's not necessarily valid in, in a given situation
1: Yeah right um, Well okay uh, so I wrote this blog post a while back about meritocracy and how I think the word meritocracy gets used in a way that actually doesn't really apply. Um, That doesn't make any sense in the context that it, that it gets used. it kind of talks about some of these issues, but uh, I mean on the finding female speakers and getting great talks for a conference and stuff like that. Like I, I think one of the criteria for a great conference is having perspectives that are represented that are interesting. Um, right. So, and sometimes, you know, the person who's, you know, I I mean, I don't know what the, you, you know, you could come up with a, a set of qualifications, right? Like you could say, here's my criteria of what, you know, a great speaker, you know, maybe they're the project lead or you know, maybe they've worked this many years in the industry or, you know, you can come up with qualifications, but my experience with, um, with, uh, talk selection is that it has nothing to do with that. And (laughs) typically what happens is someone's like, have I ever seen this speaker before? Um, is the content of the talk very interesting to me personally? Um, could I use the content of this talk in my job? And that's kind of like how they look at this. And so, If you think about that in the context of talk selection, like what chance does a woman who is giving her first talk have in that? Because you're already you're already at the disadvantage. And the same thing goes for like any man who's like giving a talk for the first time. What chance do you have if the person who's looking at those talks has never seen you give a talk before? You know, you're a first time speaker um, and they have nothing to base that on. So you're already kind of at a disadvantage anyway. And the criteria that people are using is not anywhere near as exacting or programmatic as people would like to think. So I think that this, the whole premise of that idea that considering, considering someone's gender, when you're looking at, you know, what the talk is that they're giving, I just, I don't know. It's, it's not based in the way that people actually select talks, first of all. Uh, and then, and then the other thing about it is like, um, it's interesting having women at technical conferences. Like I, I'm i looking forward to the day where that's not true. Right. Like, <laughs> like that will be a really great day where it is completely not worthy of comment at all that a woman is giving a talk at a technical open source or a web conference, you know, right. like it must be normal. But it still is remarkable. And so they're probably gonna draw a crowd Right. Anyway, so you as like a conference organizer, you're actually going to benefit from the novelty of having a woman give a talk. So, I mean, you're already kind of doing your conference a favor probably mm-hmm. by inviting a female speaker there. So, you know, on that front, I think that the whole, you know, you're discriminating against someone that's not really true. You're actually doing your conference a favor. Right. At this point. Yeah, um, right. I
2: dig you. Well, it's, it Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I, my feelings about that is that, well, one, I would say my experience has, I, I really understand the idea that if nobody has seen you talk before, it's hard to get accepted to give a talk, right? And so, yeah. um, like, I think that I was able to start giving more talks because I, Like, went up and I was at OzCon and did like lightning talk stuff, and a couple people saw me talk about stuff, and then that helped, right? Or I blogged about some stuff, and that helped. And so that was able to get me sort of in the door to to start talking about stuff. But I think the thing that is that I didn't have otherwise any major like cultural issues that told me that I, I should be scared of getting up there and talking, right? And, um, I have some, men,
1: like, there right, are a lot of men though that like totally have that fear. Well, I, for what terrified. it's worth, I have, I have yeah.
2: some, I, I, I think I've made no secret of the fact that I have to deal with like anxiety and depression issues and that's just something I deal with. Right. So I definitely have that stuff and I probably stress about that more than maybe your average person, uh, maybe, um, but it, there wasn't, I, I, it still doesn't my understanding, as much as I can understand from being in the, you know, the position I am culturally, I don't think that I have, you know, I, it's, it's far and away different than the sort of ingrained cultural issues that you have to deal with being a woman or being somebody else who historically has been socially not expected to be in certain roles. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess. Okay. So like, you talked about it like not being a big deal down the road and this an analogy I always think of because I'm I'm really into Okay, I, I think of this um because I'm a big football fan, so I watch a lot of football <laughs> and I pay a lot of attention to professional football in the US, right? Bears now. suck. They do. But <laughs> um,
1: I love Icky Woods. I just want to say a shout out to Icky Woods. It's you like know, the most I, awesome. I that saw guy, Wolves.
2: I have you seen he's like he's coaching like a women's pro team. Like a well, more yeah. like, like semi-pro. I saw some story about him.
1: Yeah, oh, I totally.
2: He, oh, he coaches a lingerie bowl team. No, or... no, 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 no. Like a semi-pro, what? <laughs> not a lingerie bowl team. No.
1: I'm, this is I'm serious Googling football. <laughs> oh man, we uh, have the same birthday. I know that. That I knew that guy was awesome.
2: Icky Woods. He has the same birthday as you.
1: Yeah, he has the same birthday. That's pretty sweet.
2: Me? Well, there you go. Anyway, um, we'll... anyway, yeah, and like his ex-wife is on the team. I guess.
1: Aw, well, yeah, they, they
2: get along okay, you know. But I, anyway, but he's just
1: a good guy.
2: You but, think he
0: tells him, "Hey, don't
2: block for her" when she goes out
0: on the sweep left?
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> but okay, I mean, it, 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 these are apples and oranges comparisons, but somewhat similar in the sense that there have yeah. been there have been certain roles in professional football that it was expected that it was typically not the case that um, uh, African-Americans were in those roles. Sometimes they were player roles. Like, typically, African-Americans weren't
1: quarterbacks.
2: And that was 10 years ago. That was still getting talked about as kind of a notable thing. And nowadays... But you look at the
1: Ducks. I mean...
2: Right. Yeah. Nowadays, it's not. And, and the other thing that I think of, I think I was particularly aware of this because it was when the Bears last went to the Super Bowl, which was 2006 season, and they played the Colts. And that was notable because both of the head coaches in that game were both African-American, and they made kind of a big deal out of it. And I think the thing that was cool was after that, nobody really even felt like it needed to be mentioned that much anymore. Like you don't hear about it, it's like, oh, well, isn't this awesome that he's like
1: seen it, yeah, right? Totally Which is, and I, I guess to me, I'm kind of <laughs>
2: like, well, I'm kind of glad that that's the case now, right? Because that it doesn't get talked about because it's not really an issue. Like nobody needs to bring this up. It's like, I mean, ultimately, there's that. It's like, well, can they really do the job or not? Which is obviously ridiculous, but ultimately, that yeah, yeah, sort like of, the the point right? the
1: point where I can take the bumper sticker off my car that says I do not code with my vagina, you know, like that'll be really. That'll be a really That's
2: great, great. Yes, exactly. So yeah. that's where you want to go with it. And then it's then you've, you well, well, have then... we'll, well, we will omit
0: what I said before the podcast yeah, about do.
2: <laughs> right. Just on the off
0: case that my wife listens to it. Nice.
2: But but at, if you have gotten to a point where you've gotten where it's not discussed, then you have probably overcome the major social and cultural issues that yeah i mean i don't
1: yeah yeah i i i agree with that i i will say that unfortunately that argument gets used as a way to silence people who bring it up as a problem unfortunately so they'll be like yeah yeah yeah, they're like stop bringing up that whole women in tech thing because it's really annoying to me and it's not an issue and we're like totally post sexism and blah, 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 you know, and, right. um, and so it it's, you know, I'm like talking about this and I'm doing it in a really casual way, probably more casually than I would do if I was, than I would, if I were at a conference with people that I didn't know, even though this is probably more people are probably going to listen to this than, um, that, <laughs> yeah. Than that, no, that it's just of us of a and my wife
0: setting.
1: who listen to this. <laughs> Aw, <laughs> thank you, grumpy Canadian guy's wife. Um, sure. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> but but I, I will say, oh gosh, she's not going to like me now. But anyway, um, what what I will say is that it's it's still an issue right now, and you know I'm I'm. I'm on the I'm, – I'm one of the advisors to the ADA initiative, which is a project that uh, is focused on kind of trying to get more women into jobs that are open source focused because there's a lot of amazing jobs out there in open source and not very w- many women have them. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, not just sexism, but just, you know, I mean, there's just uh, a lack of opportunity and awareness around what great work this is and what a cool place, um, a cool place the open source community is just in general. And so, you know, I I still talk about it and I'm still going to talk about it. Probably. I mean, I hope not for the rest of my life, but you know, I don't, I don't hold out hope that everything's going to change, you know, in my lifetime, but you know, I do, I do enjoy spaces like open source bridge where, you know, there we got to like 35% women and just the event itself, just like walking around, it felt really different than a lot of the other conferences, you know, I, cause I, I go to a ridiculous number of conferences every year. This year will be quite a bit less, but you know, in a typical year I'll go to more than two a month, um, uh, which is a lot for most people. Yes, that is. And, and it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really different feeling to walk into a room and it, for it to not be remarkable that I'm female, that it's for it to not be remarkable that I'm wearing a dress, you know? Um, like it's, it's, yeah, I know. You know, it's, it's just funny though. You know, you don't realize until you're in a setting where there are a lot of technical women, how different it really is. Uh, and I've just really enjoyed that change for myself in a lot of the events that I go to now where there's, you know, sometimes it's all women, sometimes it's majority women, sometimes it's, you know, this 35% women and it's such a different feeling. Um and I like that I experience that difference, you know. Um and I enjoy the events, you know, when I go to a Postgres conference it still is mostly men. <laughs> uh but, you know, it's, uh, but those are my people too, right? I mean, they're they're my my crazy database people. So,
0: right, I dig it. It's you. just the patriarchy trying to keep you down, Selena. That's all it
1: is. They've totally brainwashed me into loving SQL. It is SQL right. a patriarchal conspiracy, definitely. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I try. I'm trying to think of a joke, but I can't.
0: So I'm looking through our little list here, and I noticed there was a – where Selena was asking, is there a code of conduct for this podcast? Obviously not, so we can move on to the next <laughs> topic. So you had this you had this thing about the uh, the end of uh, co-tweet, and I I wanted to talk about this. Oh, because I my God. This, so, I mean, I will I will also say that I, I have no idea what co-tweet is, but um, I'm probably uh, – yeah, I'm Canadian. Cut me some slack. So – yeah. Uh, but I it do notice here's stuff. I do notice that this is a general trend, and this happens now, especially with the uh, startup mania that has gripped that's um, gripped uh, the tech space, where um, person creates cool or or te- small focused team creates cool piece of tech, uh, larger companies swallows them up to either acquire the talent or the information that they've stored on the people using the thing, and then the service itself gets a big "fuck you" I'm about the vest and gets closed down. So let's—I think we got about a half hour more that we can rant and rave about this stuff. So, well, let's let's talk <laughs> about this because I—I I mean, this is this this happens all the time. A cool product, a cool company gets bought by somebody bigger. And they get swallowed up and they say all the right things at the end. Oh, we will continue to be supportive. And meanwhile, they're just sitting there waiting for their fucking shares to vest so they can cash out and go off and do something else. And all the users who helped get them to this point where they could be noticed and get bought, um, to use the correct phrase, get fucked. So let's
1: talk about that. Well, yeah. that would, like, be the better. I, I think of it more as, like, an Ike Turner, you know, relationship. <laughs> <That makes sense. laughs> oh, Where's my money, but, um... <laughs> bitch? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what happened with uh, with Koti, right? Like, they, they got bought, and then uh, I forget who bought them. I didn't even really care. I was just so upset because my, you know, trolling tool of choice was gone, which is really sad. Uh, but, I mean, basically the problem was is that they wanted people to pay, like, $250 uh, I don't think that was a month. Maybe for like a year or something like that um, to use the tool. Right. And it was it was a tool that a lot of little open source projects were using to coordinate tweets. Yeah. We, basically, we and so they use it as that. yeah. Yeah. For for spaz or.
2: Right. Yeah. For spaz, we we started yeah. using that some because it, it's handling like because you get so much support stuff you end up doing through Twitter that coordinating that becomes really problematic. Now, I think CodeTweet had some other issues with actually, like, it. sometimes it seemed like it would miss things and junk like that, but...
1: Yeah. I'm all fair mad about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just a bummer. It does It does remind me of the conversation. So, I'm I'm pretty good friends with um, this guy, Bradley Kuhn, who used to be part of the Free Software Foundation, is now runs the, um, and also was part of Software Freedom Law Center. Um... And now, what does he do? He, there's, there's another, the Software Conservancy, he's now, uh, I think he's like executive director or something like that. Uh, and we talk a lot about freedom and software. And I get a lot of shit for having uh, a MacBook. Oh, I bet you do. Um, but <laughs> every time it's like, why do you hate freedom, Selena? And um You know, it just reminds me of like, oh, shit, you know, really like us open source projects, we really should have a thing that coordinates our Twitter access that doesn't require us to use a proprietary tool that eventually is just going to shut down and go away and really leave a hole. You know, there's there's the open source project aspect of it. And then there's like the fun trolling aspect of it. You know, like we run this Twitter account called Rebasiality, which is like hilarious uh, revision control trolling. And um it's really sad for us, you know, because there's like 12 of us involved in that and now right. we no longer have a to coordinate our trolling. It's like what are we going to do? It's
2: that like is half Im- of my
1: energy.
2: That's important stuff you got to get sorted out.
1: Is, it's critically important.
2: It's awesome. There's, but- no tro- there's no trolling like
1: coordinated trolling, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I right. I'm, I'm telling you and especially on Twitter where like people are so like I don't know, they're primed. They're primed to be trolled.
2: Oh yeah. Oh Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, we have, we all
1: have extensive experience with
0: that.
2: <laughs> I was uh it, it, yeah.
1: The problem though. yeah. Sorry, it is it is an issue though. Like you use these services that are free, and you know the assumption should always be if it's free, you are the product, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it, which is true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but when it goes away, you're like fuck, you know. And then I mean, we couldn't get our data out of CoTweet.
2: I think that's the yeah. thing that bothers me more, and it's one of the things that I really like about the place I work um, and the big pro- the main project I work on, which is Gimme Bar, and I, you know, I work for Fictive Kin, that's the name of the company, and is that we're, like, out of the box. We really, really, like, all of us really feel strongly about being able to get your data out of there and that it, it really pisses us off that stuff that that content that you collect in other systems you can't actually ever get that out of there or at least in any reasonable fashion um i mean short of like screen yeah. scraping or something right so like we re- it sort of feels good even, i mean you know in this it's not like this we're doing it purely for, out of the you know goodness of our hearts but um it at least feels less like we're trapping people <laughs> right um right yeah and that they had, you know, that we really f- like all of us feel strongly about that. Of that that people should be able to take the stuff that they collect and curate, and and should be able to take that someplace else if they choose to. Now, the vast majority of your users probably are never going to do that, but I still feel strongly about it, right? So, yeah. And so that's that's a frustrating yeah, thing with this. I think stuff it's critically.
1: Out. Yeah, I think it's critically important to be able to take your data out of it. Um, yeah.
2: Well, like, I, it's here's an example that I, a, a little conundrum that I could of that sort of is related to this is that, um, it, and it sort of also deals with like the archival issues that you have to do you deal with with electronic media, and like there was a book that I bought today, and it was uh, Jordan Mensher, who's the guy who did Karateka, and but like. Prince of Persia, and so he he did a bunch of. He's like an early game designer. He's still continuing to work in the industry, right? And um, I really like that stuff, and I really because you know I grew up with with games. I am really into like historical vintage stuff and things like that. And he so he wrote this book that was basically I guess it was his journals from like 1984, 1985, right? And he published this book, uh, you know, on the cheap, obviously, and. I had an option today, I could buy the paperback or I could buy the Kindle version. And I was like, I could buy the paperback, and I know at least I will have that, like it's a physical copy, but I was also torn because it's like, I don't really want more crap in my house, and I also know <laughs> that I've gotten to the point where I don't really read stuff like physical books anymore. I've was I'm I've never been a huge like paper reader, but I read everything on the screen now. And I, my experience now is that yeah. I just don't read stuff like physical copies. But the other aspect of it is like, at some point, like 10 years down the road, I don't know if I'll have access to this. I don't know if it'll go away. How am I supposed to get this stuff out? Isn't it, you know, it's not, it's all locked down, man. I, what am I supposed to do? So, I, so I'm so i kind of wondering about this. I don't, you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I hear you. I, I used to be like quite a data hoarder um, with things. And I've recently just started kind of letting it go. Um, I don't know. There's a certain amount of cognitive load that I no longer wish to maintain, but I I hear you. It's frustrating. And it also just would be interesting, right? Like if you could carry around with you all of the weird stuff that you were into, like if I could go back to when I was like 17 and first, like, Logging into BBSs and downloading weird crap and, you know, uh, all the weird, you know, writing that I used to do, collaborative writing projects with people when I was that age. And if I still had all of that, like, I mean, it would probably just be incredibly, like, horrifying and depressing on one hand, right? But also just, like, really, (laughs) like, interesting, you know? Like, oh, wow, that rage poetry was really great, you know? Like, I don't know, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's just you know, it's it's fascinating to be able to kind of look at that stuff that you were into and, and who you were at that time. So in a sense, right. like, I, I don't think losing access to some of that stuff is all that different than it was before, right? Because, you yeah. know, you move, you lose shit and all that. But it is frustrating in the context of um, a community produced thing, right? Like you think about spaz or you think right. about Um, open source bridge or you know like these these different collaborative works essentially and then you're using this tool to communicate out Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden and I mean it wasn't that sudden but like you just lose access to all of that shared communication in history and that's that's yeah that's the stuff that really bothers me a lot is like there was this this um set of communication in this way that we were talking with each other and talking with the people that were talking to us and we just don't have access to that now. it's
2: gone yeah there's a lot there's stuff that I know I participated in in the early mid into mid like 90s that's not it's just a lot of that stuff just is gone it, it's not accessible yeah. anymore like yeah it, but
0: it's always but it's always been that way with media I mean how many how yeah. even think about this how easy is it how easy even today is it to find a book that's 50 years old?
2: Yeah, it's true. Even just fifty. Yeah. Even
0: even a book that's uh, twenty five years old. How easy is it to still actually find a copy of a twenty five year old book um, that's still in good condition and will survive for another twenty five years? I mean, yeah, cultures I do this all the time. They destroy their knowledge. they, they you know they they bury. They bury the old and the decrepit and the soon to be dead. So yeah. I mean, I I mean, I'm like Ed too. I read lots of stuff on on screens, but I also have several bookcases at home full of books. Paper books are never going to go away, and I think, as the per, as the percentage of books uh, of reading material that's around that's uh, purely electronic. That stuff's all – it's all going to be for the now and the stuff that really matters, it will end up on paper somewhere. It will be stored somewhere and you'll be able to get back to it if, if – it, but the problem now will be that the only way it's going to be preserved is is, is if somebody other than you thinks that thinks that it's important.
2: So <laughs> Yeah, I so wonder. I mean
0: that's really how it's going to be. I remember there was yeah. an awesome – I remember reading an awesome short story as a kid about uh, a guy who lived in a society where every single book that had ever been published – had been digitized and that people could access that through some sort of really nasty, ubiquitous um, wireless type thing. But he rejected all that and taught himself how to read. And he discovered that – and then he discovered the actual paper books and discovered how different those paper books were from the material that was being presented via their ubiquitous online library. So it was a very kind of (laughs) – that story really sticks with me after all the years. I wish I could remember who wrote it or, you know, what the name of the story was. But, man, that shit's all going to yeah. do. Ed, all that stuff is going to decay and rot, and there really isn't anything you can do about it. Paper or bits, well, they they rot as soon as they're committed.
1: Well, I think that, you know, paper might last longer, like near the Arctic Circle. So, Ed, I think maybe what we should do is just start shipping all of our books up to uh, Chris's bunker. Oh, yes. What do you think?
2: That's a good idea. And that could be the archival base.
1: yeah. And, you guys are dicks. Yeah, and you can just <laughs> put it in your your Canadian uh, bunker near the Arctic Circle. You pronounce it
2: bunker. I that's good idea.
0: Bunker. <laughs> nice. I'm a boot no, to go I out to know. the bunker.
2: <laughs> I... <laughs> nice. I wonder if it's just because we're like we maybe there's more of an expectation that things will be available because there's so much electronic media that when it like, when swaths of that stuff go away, you're sort of like, it's kind of more yeah. shocking now. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe, it, maybe I'm oh, full of shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I get what you're saying. No, there is kind of this weird expectation of uh, permanence yeah. that I think is, is kind of strange. Like, I, I mean, I find myself... So, another thing that I'm really interested in is this idea of forgetting. And there's this law you know, that's being talked about in the EU right now. I don't think it's passed yet, but um, they, they're they talking about whether or not ISPs should be responsible for making sure that if someone wants to remove all of their data, that all of their data uh, yeah, gets yeah, yeah. Right. removed, right? And they they were calling it this, like, right to forget. Uh, and I think that's a really powerful idea, right? Like, the... And if you think about it, like, take it to its logical conclusion, I mean, that includes, like, a web server having logs about your visit and things that identify you in some way that right. you went there and um and, and, like, all this stuff. Like, it's kind of a crazy way to think about the way that, that we as IT people and as developers do logging, if you yep. had to tie it to the person and then had to have the ability to pull it back out, like, what would that look like? Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think all of that's kind of tied together, right? Because like, we've been really, like, as a industry, kind of lazy about that idea. Like, we just kind of were like, eh, whatever, you know? Like, why would anybody give a shit?
2: It's an industry whether... best practice. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> not, I agree
0: that not giving a shit is an industry best practice. That's true. Sure. Right, exactly.
2: Yes, that is <laughs> That's definitely the case.
0: Man, if only I had to remember that, because I did an email interview with somebody uh, today asking me about best practices for PHP. I should have put down not giving a shit as a best practice yeah. there.
1: Yes. Just take the internet.
2: Nice. Well, it does permeate the uh, most PHP code, so.
1: <laughs> but, but
2: not
0: yeah. your stuff, right, Ed?
2: Oh, no, mine's perfect. <laughs>
0: I'm just glad because Ed told me today before the podcast that I should be proud of him because he actually wrote tests for something today.
2: Yep, felt what? pretty good about
1: it. No tests, no tests. See, that's what I'm talking
2: about. She <laughs> agrees with me. So, okay, so one more thing. Now, you, so you mentioned trolling. So, and I think I've seen. Um, you seem to be an a, an active um, and uh, gleeful participant in trolling people and, um, <laughs> and, uh, that is a troll like laugh for sure. Yes. I would like to hear yeah, you know, more I'm about just gonna
1: it. Say, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that really, I only, I only engage in advanced trolling. Oh, and
0: here I'm, come the excuses. You know,
1: <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> really only help other people who are kind of artisanal adorable. trolling. Is that what you do? Right. Yeah. Grass fed. Uh, within a hundred miles right trolling yep yeah, totally, totally, so um yeah, yeah, and i yeah I'm really a lot more about education, you know education uh-huh. than, right than actual i'm I'm more about theory
2: no, I talking. see uh uh-huh. <laughs> right, so you're more of a white
1: hat troll <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just yeah I'm an educator that's that's what I would say. Do you
0: educate them. people by insulting them? That sounds like the type of thing I need to do more.
2: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Did you see that yeah. thi- thing? It was a was it on BBC where, like, they tracked down...
1: Oh, that was so... Oh, they tracked dude. down a troll. <laughs> thought, oh, my... <laughs> mind. That was terrible. It was so, like, to catch a pedophile or whatever oh, that yeah. show was. Yes. Or Predator. That's what it was, right? That, yeah. that, that television show was, like, to catch a predator. And they mm-hmm. go and, like, find a horrible... Pedophile, or oh god, it was terrible. Yep, yeah, it was just like that, except for in Great Britain.
2: <laughs> so that's the kind of thing you do,
1: <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. man. I wish I had that kind of a budget to man, that'd be so great. Yeah. Oh, I could just do that to all the MongoDB people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, oh, now the prejudice. <laughs>
0: First no, it's, no. oh, we need to get more women involved. And now it's like, fuck all those Mongo people. Wow. <laughs> right.
1: No, no. I met, I met Megan from Mongo, from and She's really sweet. Uh, yep. But anyway. No, no, uh, no, no,
0: no. You're not weaseling out of it that easy, Selena. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: all, we all love each other in the database community. So, yeah. So the trolling thing. So I have a couple really good friends uh, who we give this talk about trolling. Um, the first talk that we ever get, sorry, now I got this crazy cat. Coming in here. I also have a cat that is really loud. That's cool. I got cats. Um. So. Uh. So yeah. So we we do this talk. The first time that we ever gave it was at the Google Summer of Code Mentors Summit, which is a lot of people who have to deal with internet trolling in open source communities all the time, and so right. they they really love the talk because it's like, oh my god, this is our life dealing with trolls all the time, and it's really hard. Uh, And, you know, we were there, we were like, this is an advanced trolling talk. Um, And we mostly just talk about, you know, what it's like to be the people that have to deal, you know, in a leadership way with trolls in your internet communities. Um, And my role was to write really insulting things on a whiteboard, um, which people took lots of pictures of. Nice. (laughs) Very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we we mostly just kind of talk about it and it's kind of funny and um, and then we end up, like, what, what that's kind of turned into for me is, like, I've ended up just helping people when they're dealing with, like, weird social issues in their communities, um, which I, you know, like, I I like to try to help people when they're in that situation. And sometimes if you can do it with a sense of humor, you know, like, it gets diffused a lot faster than if you're all, like, serious face about it. Um, right yeah and then we do things like start twitter accounts called rebastiality which cracks me up and then we make fun of people who use perforce so I also do that um, so, but- you're,
2: <laughs> so you're both causing and solving problems
1: <laughs> bit, really. yeah well, the perforce people are really kind of asking for it so.
2: well so, you, know, you know those people All right. um, so that's interesting but um, I don't know, do we have anything else on this list yeah,
0: I'm kind of bummed out by that really lame trolling explanation, if you want the truth,
2: <laughs> I did kind of want to hear some, like a story.
1: Like, like what? Like, I, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So
0: like trolling, I, I, trolling, online trolling that I elevated into physical confrontation at a conference. <laughs> That'd be a good story. Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what <laughs> at we're At a going
1: conference. For. I am so oh, charming in person. That has just never happened. Not- have never had a situation like that i will tell you that um that there are people that are actual internet trolls that i know Mm -hmm. that do not consider anything that i have ever done to be actual trolling (laughs) and i have friends that like actually study trolling in an academic way um And that's really funny, like that that Mm. whole thing, like that the to catch a predator thing that was going on in the UK. Right. um, They called they called my friend Biella uh, Biella Coleman, who uh, is in the process of writing, or I think recently completed a book about internet trolling and anonymous and 4chan and you know like all this stuff. Right. Um, And she was so glad that she turned down that interview (laughs) because. awful what they did because i mean there's like different classes of trolls right and the person that they were talking to is just a total bottom feeder like that's not the like the trickster trolling um the people who like hack into systems and kind of are the ring leaders of stuff that comes out of 4chan like that's not that guy oh
2: right? yeah <laughs> like, that guy was just being a, that dude was just a douchebag. Right? yeah
1: exactly that was right. a gun variety douchebag on facebook or something you know like right. it was just Unbelievable, and the fact that they were so easily able to track down his physical location—it didn't require like you know a multinational uh, sting uh, to, to right. find him. Like actual trolls would be like, whatever, who's that guy? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a real. I'm not a real one. I just play one on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Well, well
0: it- I think we. I think we have run out of things to talk for today. I think.
2: Yeah, maybe.
1: Oh, this was so fun, guys! Was Thank it? you for allowing me to, you know, bully my way in. It's great.
2: We, I got. We would talk for like ten minutes otherwise, so it's good. <laughs> it takes the pressure off.
0: We had we decided to extend the policy of promoting women on podcasts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I
0: I tell you, I got I got lots of flack from people saying, "How come you haven't had me on yet?" And I'm like, because Ed doesn't like you.
1: That's exactly it. Oh, that's so great, Ed. You should dislike most people and only have me on the podcast. That's fine.
2: Right? I told you we we're going to get Chris off here.
1: <laughs> Whoa, that going down, Chris. Really bad. And-
0: oh, yeah. yeah,
2: that's a good point.
1: On Twitter, let them know whether I should come back or not. What
2: okay. We? Well, yeah, we'll pull it. it. Hey, do you have a like a link for your? whatever this cockamamie uh, scheme you have going on for our business. Cause oh, I couldn't yeah. find it. They're like, do you even have a website? Is that a- <laughs> um,
1: yeah. So the, the product that we're building, it's check Markable. So I'll just type it in here so that you can have it. Um, we set up a okay. tumble log for the business. So we set up a business name that was different. It's called prime radiant. Right. For you second foundation nerds out there.
2: Oh, that's yeah,
1: something. Yeah, know. you know what I'm talking about. Not really. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that from Star Wars? Oh wait, were we Wars? just talked about science fiction. from
0: Star Wars? <laughs> that's like one of the prequels, right? Uh-oh, Phantom uh-huh. Menace, Second Foundation.
1: You guys suck.
2: Nice. That was a Clone Wars spinoff. <laughs> um.
0: No, it was one of the Timothy
2: Zahn books. Oh God, those Timothy Zahn books. So.
1: What? I don't
2: even know who that is. is that he, some Canadian thing. He? No, no, no. He was. He wrote some of a, a couple. He some of the Star Wars novels, like that. Oh. You know the like the spin-off novels, not like ones based on
1: the movies, and uh, okay.
2: they nice. were, some of fan them were not. Kind of, but it was like official fan. You know, they have like their official fanfic. Moved
1: fanfic, yeah.
2: Yeah, there was no slash in it though, so. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a letdown. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but we are hiring. Oh my god, we need a front-end developer so bad. Right? Jeez, okay.
2: Now, you well, you said you're using Batman. Are you doing it in CoffeeScript?
1: Uh, yeah. There is there is a bit of CoffeeScript. There's there's going to be a lot of straight-up JavaScript though. Okay. I was going to so. say Oh, you, yeah, you, you could... mentioned
0: the word CoffeeScript. You got the hipsters uh, all over you like white on race. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's, what I a, want. that's
2: exactly what you're looking for. Well, yeah. you should have a you should have about three people in the entire world to choose from who can work. <laughs> that,
1: so. Yeah, because no one can learn.
2: <laughs> no, I can't. No, it's not, it's not possible. There's
0: don't another learn. best practice. No one can learn. Don't <laughs> learn,
2: right? That should <laughs> two be a great. Things that
1: you've learned in this podcast. It's that don't it's, don't give a shit, and you can't learn.
2: No, that's, yeah, that's the. No, nobody
0: gives a shit and nobody can learn anything
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, all right well
1: again selena thanks so much
0: for coming on with us uh i had a blast uh, we covered a whole bunch of really kind of cool topics it's a shame you don't know uh, really anything about pearl i was kind of looking forward to that but you know yeah. uh, people can't learn right
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> hey man like i said better than groovy better than groovy
0: nice so I think that's about it for episode number six of <laughs> Development Hell. As always, check us out on iTunes. Check us out on the website, devhell.info. We always welcome feedback, though. We usually do like what that guy who had all the refactoring uh, ideas for RT does. We'll just fucking toss him out and ignore him anyway. Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back real soon. All right. Thank bye